You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. As I always am. Earlier today, about five hours ago, as I'm uh, preparing for the show, I did the the facepalm. Because I'm thinking, man, how how am I going to get through tonight? I am physically and emotionally exhausted. There's been a lot going on the last couple of days. Uh, Do I want to talk about the Yankees who are, you know, this close to, for the first time in 31 years, finishing below 500? And by the way, if you go back to the bottom of the ninth inning yesterday in Miami, since that point, the Yankees have been outscored by the opposition 16-2. to So that just kind of gives you a perspective on how great things are going for the great manager that is Aaron Boone and that genius of a GM, Brian Cashman. Do I want to talk about the Mets, who in a 24-hour span at home against the Braves were outscored 34-3? to Is that something we'll get into at some point later in the show? And by the way, James Harden, we just listened to the update. James Harden, you know, he is making a mockery of what should have been a decorated Hall of Fame career. But I do got some smoke for, for Darren Moore. I've got some smoke for him. We'll get into that later in the program. But when you are feeling tired, sometimes people go to coffee. They go to the five-hour energy drink. And for me, that came in the form of some breaking news. Oh, boy, Dalvin Cook is a New York Jet. Just signed a contract. Let's do it, baby. And that was the first thing I heard ringing off in my ears. The J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets chance. Because it's been a tremendous offseason. A tremendous offseason. And I couldn't be happier. And for everyone who called Dalvin Cook a luxury... I could not disagree with you more. This, to me, was a necessity. And I'm glad it was one that the Jets felt convicted enough to actually go all in. They understand, rightfully, that their window is as long as Rodgers is giving them a Hall of Fame-level quarterback play under center. So getting Cook on a one-year deal, paying him north of $8 million— was a massive victory. Massive. So why do I call it a necessity and not a luxury? Okay, last year, everyone remembers the five games we saw from Brees Hall. I mean, the emergence of the home run hitter that was rookie running back Brees Hall revitalized us. We had been so accustomed to just getting, you know, zero to negative value in offensive production, we see this guy become, you know, not even exaggerating, not even using hyperbole, a a game changer. He was a game changer. And through the first five games, we were excited about what his potential was. But then once he got hurt in that game against the Broncos, what was once their biggest strength became one of the biggest weaknesses in all of football. Only six teams in, in, the, in the league last year had fewer rushing yards per game than the New York Jets. The Bucks, the Texans, the Chargers, the Bengals, the Vikings, and the Rams. And the Vikings on that list, interesting because 
they their primary back was Dalvin Cook, who I'm now excited is on the Jets. But the reason why I felt like this was a, a had-to-have player and it was so important was because it now eliminates the pressure that fans would have inevitably put on Brees Hall. And thus, he would have put on himself. You look at the schedule, we've talked about it, how brutal the first six games are. At home against Buffalo. Then you go to Dallas. That is, you know, for all intents and purposes, two of the favorites to win the title next year. Two of the best teams in football. Then you come home to play a team you haven't beaten since 2015. And look, I can make fun of the Pats all, all, all I want, and Mac Jones, and you know that the one of the worst plays we'll ever see in, in that game last year, where they were throwing the ball around and was returned for a touchdown to lose them the game. But until you beat them for the first time in 14 tries, which will turn into 15 once we hit week three, the joke is ultimately going to be on us. And then after that, you've got Kansas City, you've got. Denver, and Philadelphia. So at best, what are we looking at? Three and three? And because of all the pressure in those first six weeks that could bury you, it's terrifying. And now you're going to look at Brees Hall to be the answer. Especially for an offense that could struggle early. As much as I love Rodgers and you got Hackett here, it's going to take some time for that unit to gel. He's got familiarity with Lazard and with Cobb, but with Hartman and with Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis and the tight ends, Conklin and Uzoma, it is going to take some time for them to be clicking on all cylinders. And the caveat is the offensive line, which we've talked about for far too long, if they can't find a way to protect, then that's only going to increase the level of difficulty for this offense. So, Dalvin Cook being inserted into the into the equation is not a luxury. It was a necessity. This is a guy who in his last four seasons rushed for 5,300-plus yards, 44 touchdowns. So even if you want to make the case that his best days are behind him, having turned 28 last week, he immediately comes in and is the best healthy running back on your roster. And once you slot him in, into the RB2 hole, when Brees, when Brees Hall is eventually healthy, you all of a sudden create a dynamic offense. And you look at the assortment of weapons that I just laid out with Cook and with Hall and with Garrett Wilson and with Lazard and with Hardman and with Conklin, and with Uzoma, and Davis. We're talking about an offense that could be firing. That could be high octane. That could be really cooking with something. This team has come a very long way. Very long. And not only is it a a victory for the Jets on their field, But landing him, which filled a need for you, also allowed you to keep him away from a team I think is your biggest threat in the AFC East, and I'm talking about the Miami Dolphins. And this obviously is assuming that Tua is healthy. 
We saw what that team looked like last year when he was in the MVP running prior to him missing, you know, the six games due to concussion. That offense was humming, and I get the Jalen Ramsey injury is huge. It's critical, and it's devastating for that defense. But I still think that Vic Fangio can scheme up enough to cover the holes and to get them to to play at a level that eventually when he does return, and assuming he's able to come back and be 100%, they're going to be rolling. Which is why I look at it and I put the injury as the uh, you know the injury as the caveat for Tua. Assuming he's able to stay healthy, I have them as the biggest threat to the Jets in the AFC East. When Rodgers takes a thirty-five million dollar pay cut, if you're Joe Douglas, it is incumbent upon you to invest in him. You are sending a message to the leader of your locker room. That everyone's on the same page. And what does that page read? We are winning at all costs. None of it matters, you know, down the line, which is why I find it so so crazy, the overreaction to Zach Wilson. That's not going to help you this year. I'm looking at the offensive line. I'm looking at Rodgers being able to stay healthy and look more like the guy who had won back-to-back MVPs with Hackett versus the one last year who was subpar without him. I'm looking at the defense, and as great as they were last year, can they force more turnovers and be an offense that, or I'm sorry, a defensive unit that can put their offense in better position? Just because we didn't see a lot of that last year on that side of the ball, as great as they were? And now I'm looking at the running back room that has significantly improved. Because I want to remind you, and I tried to warn folks, we got all excited about the potential of Brees Hall, and rightfully so. It's been a long time since you had legitimate playmakers that you were enthused, uh, uh, enthused about. It's been a while. But with Brees... You have to factor in, despite technology being so advanced and, you know, they're able to heal from the the ACL tears uh, as quickly as, as they are now. Look at how long it took Saquon to regain form. And I know everyone's body is different, but setting an expectation and a standard as high as you did on Brees Hall ultimately meant you were designing yourself to be disappointed. It was going to be impossible for him to reach that apex just off the rip, starting Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. So you've given yourself someone who can fill in until he returns to be 100% and also a safety net and insurance policy throughout the year so you don't run Brees Hall into the ground. So as you can tell, I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. The Jets... Haven't had a guy rush for 1,000 yards since 2015. Got to go back to Chris Ivory. And now you add Dalvin Cook, who since 2019 is second in football in scrimmage yards. So the potential is there. The excitement levels are reaching high. And this Jets team right now continues, continues to incite a level of optimism in this fan base that hasn't been felt for some time. I'm not saying Dalvin Cook's going to come in and, and be Adrian Peterson in his prime. 
But what I am saying is, for an offense that could struggle early, Dalvin Cook is going to expedite that process. The Jets are rolling. They have an offense you can be excited about. If that line can just be average, look out for the offense. Look out for the numbers they can put up. And when's the last time we said that about the New York Jets? 800-919-3776. I'm excited. I'm pumped. As you can tell, hit me on Twitter, at Ty D. Butler. Rich Cimini's going to join us in 15 minutes to break down the Dalvin Cook news. We're going to get to the Yankees. We'll talk about the Mets. We'll get to Harden and the Rockets. Uh and the Sixers part of it. The, the Rockets, the team he was flirting with throughout the season. And, you know, the Sixers looks like they are now reneging on that offer that they were going to give him. We'll, we'll get to also Zeke signing with the Patriots. So there's a lot on the table. We're going until midnight. Ty Butler kicking things off right here on 98.7 ESPN. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Being excited about him being landed by the front office is an overreaction. It's overrated. Those are the same guys who didn't really buy into Aaron Rodgers taking this team to the next level. And if and if you fall in that category, it either means that you think both of those guys are washed or it's just same old Jets, same old Jets. Every time you're excited about something, it just comes falling apart just because you're you're an organization that's allergic to success and allergic to having nice things. And if... You know, if if that's what you choose to, to believe and the direction you choose to go in, I can't argue with that. It's not about winning head, head, you know, winning the headlines and, you know, winning the offseason. It's about how it translates into success and prosperity when the real games start, which we'll have to wait until September 11th to see that Monday night game against the Bills. But I'm just telling you right now, this is the most excited I've been coming into a season in 13 years. Fresh off of, you know, Mark Sanchez's AFC Championship game appearance with that great defense and run game and Rex Ryan, you know, becoming the personality that he was, you know, changing the tenor and the tone of this fan base because we all loved him. And now it feels like we're moving in that direction. Only thing I will say, and I'll reiterate, I heard Larry talking about this on my drive-in, and it's something that I alluded to on Saturday. None of this is going to matter. I don't care how good your roster is. If you do not have a legitimate head coach, this is going to blow up in smokes. You can have the Hall of Famer who is Aaron Rodgers on the center. You can have... Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook and Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, Carl Lawson and Quinnen. You can have an abundance of talent. But when it comes to trying to get to the playoffs, at the very least, trying to get to the playoffs in this conference with those head coach quarterback tandems, if you are operating every single week at a deficit and having to overcome that, you're drawing dead, which is why there's a lot of pressure on Robert Sala this season. CBS came out with his head coach rankings, and he was 26th behind two rookie head coaches, Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans, guys who had never done the job before. They're saying it's better than Robert Sala. Now, is that the 11-23 and 23 record? Is that, you know, 
him being disrespected or is it an accurate assessment? Because we haven't seen any evidence or have any proof that he's capable of running an entire team as the CEO. We know he's a hell of a defensive coordinator. He's a motivator. But can he be someone late in games who is able to make the right decisions, clock management-wise, and just X's and O's? Because I watched the first half of that game last week against the Panthers, and once again, they they just butchered the, 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 the clock. After the, the run that Izzy got to the one-yard line on, on second and go, why are they not calling the timeout? Why did they wait so long to call a timeout? These are the little things you pick up in a preseason game. And it's not, someone hit me on Twitter, they're ironing out the kinks. That's not the kinks. These are things that headed into year three, you should know. You should know that already. 800-919-3776. We go to Bob in New Jersey. What's up, Bob? How you doing? Hey, Bob, how's it going? I'm doing good. Uh, I should talk about the Giants because the Yankees stink right now. <laughs> so I think the, the Giants are playing much better this year. Daniel Jones has much more receivers. The defense is better. Another year in Dable system. And uh, why and uh, and uh, why can't the Giants win nine, ten, eleven games? Uh, why? Why do I think in the USA today they win six games? Yeah. They won nine games last year, and, and they're going to win no, no, six, six games. They're going to take another step forward. They're going to be better. They're going to compete with the Eagles and the Cowboys. You have to respect the Giants. No one respects them. I love the confidence, Bob. I, I really do appreciate it. and It's something I've been saying for weeks, and not a lot of people agree with the stance that I have, and it's if you are a Giants fan, and you are convinced this team is better than they were last year. They've improved their offense. Saquon, the expectation is he is going to be just as good or better. In worst case scenario, if there's a drop-off, it won't be all that significant. You believe you have one of the seven best head coaches in all of football. Why are you expected to take a step back? Because your schedule's tougher? Your team's better. You just paid your quarterback $40 million a year. I've been saying this for weeks. I've been saying this for weeks, and I know it was brought up today by Anthony Pusick on the K-Show, and Don disagreed with me. We'll play that audio for you later on, but if you're telling me you think that Daniel Jones is going to take the next step, but the Giants record-wise are going to be worse, that equation doesn't compute. It makes zero sense. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Lonnie's in Harlem. What's up, Lonnie? Kyle, what's going on, Sensation? Tell how you doing, Joe? How you doing? Shout out to the company, of course. <clears throat> now, uh, Kyle, the only real reason I called in is because I called in earlier to speak to Joe about this whole Dalvin Cook situation, and he said, you know, make sure you call back to talk to Todd. So here I am. Um, now I really only have three things. I think you know clearly. You know, you guys need the line because uh, the the war is, you know, football wars is one in the trenches. But I'm really more worried about the O-line, obviously, because uh, you guys need to protect Aaron Rodgers. And the health and the coaching, just as you was talking about. Like Robert Salah still, lead, still needs to kind of, like, prove himself and stuff like that. And I know Jet fans are worried about that. Even me as a Giant fan, I, I, you know, I look at the Jet games and I'll be like, hey, he could have did this, he could have did this a lot better. Uh, just like Aaron Boone, I guess. 
Um, but yeah, man, those are really just my three things. And if you want to just take my quick note on the Yankees, they absolutely think. Okay. <laughs> I can't Why, even get I, I can't even get fired up about them anymore, and we'll talk about this later. Uh, bro, bro, but bro, I already told you what, what it is for me. Just another one sixty-two. But uh, just a quick note: at least they only gave up eleven instead of twenty-one, <laughs> and that's all I have to say. Good night. Well, listen, Lonnie, I appreciate the call. He's referring to the Mets, who this weekend in the span of twenty-four hours were outscored by Atlanta thirty-four to three. People say I hate the Mets. I don't hate the Mets. It, they, like, There's no reason for me to hate them. I talk about them. They are obviously a, a big team in this market. I am a New York sports talk show host. And the Yankee fan gets used against me. It's like weaponized. Because anytime I say anything about the Mets, people think that I'm being a hater. I see. Uh-huh. I'm just... I've been right about this team. I've been... Dead on, right about this team. Now, I'll be honest. I didn't expect that on August 14th, they'd be 11 games under 500, 22 and a half games worse than Atlanta with a minus 51 run differential. But I never bought into them being a, a World Series contender after what I watched last season. I never bought into it. So the I, I found it very interesting that no, this past weekend, I posed the question, which fan base should feel better about their future? Is it the Mets or the Yankees? And I do think there is a, a strong case to be made for both sides. But the Met fan who is just, you know, pumping their chest out and just pretty quickly saying, oh, it's us. Really? Really? You have no idea who your president of baseball operations is going to be. You don't know if you're going to keep your manager. You don't know if you're going to keep your general manager. We don't know what's going to happen with Peter Alonso and his contract. We don't even know if the Mets are trying to compete next year. Right now, they are 22 and a half games worse than Atlanta. They blew a 10 and a half game division lead from June 1st last year. The disparity between you and the best team in your division is so large, I don't know how you even get out of bed. Let alone have any confidence that this team is going to have a brighter future than the Yankees. It's tough. It's a it's a tall order. Let's go to Simon in New Haven. What's up, Simon? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good, uh, man. What's going on? Uh, we got to get rid of Boone. Enough <laughs> is enough of the losing. We have got to get rid Yo, of Yo, Simon, I'm shocked. Famous. Wait, talk about Simon. I'm shocked that you want to get rid of Boone. That doesn't sound like a, an opinion you've had before. I've always had the opinion to get rid of him. Oh no! I thought I, I thought you liked Boone. No, really. Oh, this this entire time I thought you were a big Aaron Boone fan. No. Oh, so what? He, he, what? I mean, he find he finds a way for this team to lose. I'm telling you, we got this new hitting coach. It, it's not it's not doing nothing. The, the the Yankee hitters are so fond of playing ping pong and grounding out and popping up all the time. These pitches work their you know what's off. They get no respect, no run support, and he sits there like an idiot and blows bubbles. <laughs> Yo, Simon is hilarious, man. Cause this is yo. When I was a producer, Simon would call me up and, and tell me we had to get rid of uh, Girardi. He's big on firing managers. Got to get rid of Girardi. Now he's got to get rid of Boone. I don't necessarily think that getting rid of Boone is wrong. I would actually support it, but it has to be in concert with getting rid of the general manager. Brian Cashman has to wear this season probably the worst season of his professional career 
but at least how rewarded him for failing in the playoffs last year against the Astros with a four-year extension. More on the Yankees, lady. Rich Samini is next, right here on 9870 ESPN. Might be a lost cause, my G. <sighs> You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Uh, you know what that music means. It means something big happens. And when something big happens, particularly with the New York Jets, we go to the best guy to weigh in on such things. He goes by the name of Rich Samini. He joins the show right now, 98.7 ESPN, the Ty Butler Show. What's up, Rich? Ty, how you doing this evening? Doing well, man. They got you working late, working overtime. So let's get right to it. Dalvin Cook, your instant reaction. Well, uh, you know, to be quite honest, I was a little surprised because I had heard in recent days that things might have been fading a little bit between the two sides. But evidently, the Jets feel really strongly about this. The contract says a lot. I mean, it's it's $7 million in base pay, which is a lot for a 28-year-old running back at this stage of the uh, offseason. And uh, it says it speaks to how the Jets are going to use him. And it may speak to also where Brees Hall is right now in his recovery. Hey, I was just going to ask you about Brees Hall. I I was always of the mindset it it would be crazy. And I get that technology has advanced and sports science to the point where we just look at, you know, torn ACLs like they're sprained thumbs. But this guy coming off of a rookie season where he played five-plus games and for you to expect him to go through an entire season fresh off of that was just always going to be lunacy. So, I mean, what does this now look like as far as dividing the, the t- you know, the touches between Cook and between Brees Hall when he comes back in your, in your mind? Well, uh, clearly the Jets are not paying Dalvin Cook $7 million to just get five, six, seven carries a game. I mean, that, that would be lunacy. They're paying him to have a significant role on this team. And a couple of weeks ago, Robert Sala said that they expected Brees Hall to be activated for practice two weeks after the Hall of Fame game. Uh, So that would be this Thursday coming up. So we'll find out tomorrow. The Jets were off today. We did not have any media access. So we'll find out tomorrow. We'll get more of an update. I think the Jets should uh, dial it back with Brees Hall. I mean, there's no sense of rushing the guy back. He had ACL surgery in October, and he's doing all this stuff on the side. You know, he could hit 22 miles an hour on his GPS, which is great. But just talking to experts with, who know this kind of injury, uh, just because you can run 22 miles an hour doesn't mean you're fully recovered from ACL. It's all about acceleration, change of direction, those are the last things to come back, and we don't know that about Brees Hall yet. And the Jets only have six practices left in their preseason, so I don't know how they could get him up to speed and ready to go for week one. So that's Dalvin Cook's a very expensive insurance policy. That's how I see it. Well, uh, how do you feel about this? I talked about you know Aaron Rodgers taking a $35 million discount has to speak volumes to, you know, his desire to win and want to do everything in his power uh, to facilitate that and help Joe Douglas and company put together a roster good enough to contend with the likes of all those, you know, the Chiefs and the Chargers, you know, the the Bengals. It's going to be tough. The Bills. 
So isn't it incumbent upon Joe to reinvest and use that money to solidify this roster? And, you know, this is a sign of him doing that? Yeah, I don't. Aaron Rodgers didn't take the pay cut just to be a nice guy. I mean, the, 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 there was a reason for it. That was so they would have roster flexibility and could do a deal like this or possibly even do a deal at the trading deadline. If a, if a big-name player becomes available around midseason trading deadline, you know, to have the ability to go after that player. So, yeah, this is uh, – I think Aaron Rodgers really wanted Dalvin Cook. And I think this is a way to appease your 39-year-old future Hall of Fame quarterback. And it's also a way to make the team better, too. I mean, Dalvin Cook is a good player. And he's been on a two-year decline. He has, he's not the same back he was two years ago when he was sensational. And I could throw out enough statistics that would make you wonder, you know, about this two-year decline because he has slipped a little bit. And he is coming off shoulder surgery. But he's still – a solid running back, and I think they needed a solid running back to go along with what they had. Talking to Rich Tamini, am I overrating the impact of not just him coming to the Jets and what it does for that running back room and you know potentially what it can lock, unlock for them offensively, but also taking him away from Miami, who we know is a legitimate threat in this division. Am I overrating that, or is that legitimate? Yeah, I, that may be you know, a little overrating. I mean, yeah, I, I think Miami was interested, but clearly uh, they did not want to pay what the Jets are paying. I, I'd love to know what Miami offered. I think there was probably a soft spot in his heart for Miami because it's his hometown, and uh, there was that factor. But I think the Jets' offer was just far and away the best, and he gets – to go to a team that has Super Bowl aspirations with a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I think when we talk to Dalvin Cook over the next few days, I think you'll hear him say that uh, that's a big reason why I come here is because of Rodgers, because of what the team they built. And so I think those are big factors for Dalvin Cook as well. I want to ask you this. Uh, we were talking to Rich Semini. So about the preseason game we watched, you know, the Jets win 27 nothing, blah, blah, blah. Everyone kind of went nuts over what Zach Wilson was able to do and how he looks, you know, quote-unquote, much better than he did last year under the tutelage of Rodgers. If all goes well for the Jets this season, Zach Wilson won't play a single snap. And I heard you on the K-Show a couple of weeks talking about, you know, they've got to make a decision on the fifth-year option, which they're not going to pick up with him being a backup quarterback at somewhere around $25 million. What's why is everyone going crazy about this Zach Wilson development if it's not really going to help the team in any way? Well, it helps his confidence. I mean, which was shot after last year. We all know that. So, I mean, the backup quarterback is an important position on the team. You know, you, you get some people who say it's the second most important position on the team, the way quarterbacks get hurt in the NFL nowadays. So, uh, look, I'd say take it with a grain of salt. He did okay against Carolina. He was going up against mostly backups. They were playing a vanilla defense where all he had to do was check the ball down, and that's what he did. So I don't think it's time to throw a parade for Zach Wilson just because he did something you know that every NFL quarterback should be able to do. Now, that said... I mean, 
Last year, he had trouble complete, completing those gimme throws. You know, how many did he throw at a receiver's feet or sail over his head? So the fact that he was able to complete some of those layups, I guess, means progress. But there's a long way to go for Zach Wilson. Hey, I guess I, I, I'm looking at it as if, you know, if Rodgers goes down, the Jets are, are, are cooked. There are not too many teams that could lose their starting quarterback, and obviously it has happened, but could lose their starting quarterback and still maintain that status uh, of being a contender. I, I, I've spoken about the pressure that is on Salah this year, and I think it's flying a little It's flying a little bit under the radar. We discuss, you know, what are the weaknesses of this team? Offensive line. We never really talk about the head coach who through two years is 11 and 23. And I get he hasn't had a quarterback, but he also hasn't shown us he is someone who can, you know, take a roster and take a team with expectations and get them to the next level. So I'm watching the, 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 the latter part of the first half on Saturday. And after, you know, Izzy gets the touchdown, call it back. He rushes up the middle for what they're calling minus one yards. When the play started, there were 28 seconds left on the game clock. Jets didn't call the timeout until there were 12 seconds left on the play clock. These clock management issues, are are, are, are they a concern for you, Rich, when it comes to this coaching staff? Yeah, I really wouldn't put too much into preseason. Uh, I really have I have just seen enough, whether it's coaching or playing, I just wouldn't put any stock in anything we see in the preseason. It's just it's a mirage. Now, he did have the one instance last year in the Detroit game where Salah may have cost the Jets the game with his uh, game management uh, faux pas at the end of the game, not calling a timeout. So, And he owned up to it you know, the next day uh, on that mistake. You know, it was a critical mistake. I just don't know if we've seen him in enough close games you know, in the last few minutes where he had to make game-altering decisions to really give him a complete grade. The Jets, you know, their first year was a disaster. We knew that we knew they would be bad. It was a rebuilding year. Last year, they got off to a good start, and things started spiraling. And there was a quarterback merry-go-round. I don't really blame Salah for that. That was just kind of the the cards he was dealt. But I think he is somewhat of a wild card and an unknown, just because he hasn't been in those type of situations. This is a lot of pressure on him. There's no excuse not to win this year. He's got a good quarterback for a change. He's got good players. He's got a really good defense. It's up to him to galvanize this team and and set the course. And some people say, well, it's just, you know, it's, you put it on oil, autopilot. Well, not, not really. It takes a, a head coach to manage all these different personalities and also to manage Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to want to throw the ball 40 to 45 times a game. Let me tell you that right now. And I don't think the Jets are going to be built that way. When you have a defensive-minded head coach, he wants to run the ball. So they're going to have to create a balance that works for this team, and that's on the head coach. As far as the expectations for this season, uh, what is an acceptable floor for this team? Meaning if they get here, it's a success. Anything further than that? You obviously will take it, but they at least, at the very least, have to get to this point. Oh, they at very least got to get to the playoffs. I mean, with all they have the largest payroll in the league, the largest cash payroll in the league. They have, uh, you know, the quarterback. You know, this this was not done with next year or the year after in mind. It's all about this year, 
And so if they don't get to the playoffs, it would be a major disappointment. I happen to think, given everything that they've put into this year, win at least one playoff game. Okay. I think that's the floor. Um, you know, win a playoff game. I mean, get in, you know, and, and win a game. And then after that, I think it's gravy. Talking to uh, Rich Tamini for a couple of minutes here. Rich, all right, so what do you see happening with this offensive line? We see all the shuffling going on. Uh, what do you think ends up being the uh, starting unit for for this team? Well, I think it'll be Dwayne Brown and uh, uh, and Tomlinson on the left side. I think it'll be McGovern in the in the center, and right tackle, right guard will be AVT. And I think right tackle right now, I would give an edge to Billy Turner, mm. slight edge over Max Mitchell. I'd say that competition is still ongoing. If the coaches don't like what they see this week. Would not be surprised if they move AVT to right tackle, where he played last year. Played well, even though it was a small sample size. And maybe move like a guy like Wes Schweitzer to right guard, where he started against Carolina on Saturday. So still a couple of moving parts right now. I know people are wondering about Makai Becton. He's progressing well from his surgery. Played 27 snaps last week, up from seven the previous week. But I don't think he's in the conversation right now for a starting job, at least not in the coach's mind. Will we see Aaron Rodgers this preseason? And if so, how much do you think? I don't think you see him this Saturday against Tampa Bay. I think there's a chance you could see him against the Giants in the finale. Rodgers is already on record as saying that he wouldn't mind playing in the preseason. I think it all depends on where they are as an offense. Uh, If they're not getting as much accomplished in practice as they had hoped, then I could see Aaron going to the coach and saying, hey, look, I I need to get a series or two under my belt. And then at that time, I think Sala would probably acquiesce and say, okay, uh, we're going to do a lot of handing off and a lot of quick throws. (laughs) That's what he's going to do against the Giants. But uh, I don't think they would put him in harm's way. But, yeah, so I think there's an outside chance he could play at the end of the preseason. I think it is a a tough ask to have Rodgers, and I understand the relationship with Hackett and with Lazard and with Cobb, but it's a new offense when you throw in the other guys, you know, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, the tight ends. It's a lot to ask them to not have played in any competitive action against another team and then, all right, here's Buffalo, one of the NFL's best defenses. Here's Dallas, one of the NFL's best defenses. Here's uh, here's New England, one of the NFL's best three defenses in your first three weeks. That's a tough one, Rich. Yeah, it's a tough one. Teams are shying away from using their, their marquee players in the preseason. So there is that factor. It's I'm sure coaches grapple with this all summer, you know, the risk-reward of playing your star players versus keeping them out and maybe getting a little bit of rust the first couple of weeks. I think the NFL, I think more and more teams are looking at the early part of the schedule is almost an extended preseason. Um, You're willing to go through a little bit of rust early in the year just to make sure you get your main guys through the preseason okay. So I I think that's probably the path the Jets are going to take. And, um, you know, maybe so. Maybe they're not clicking on all cylinders in, against Buffalo, but maybe Buffalo's in the same situation. That's the beauty of having a really good defense. A defense that has played together nine returning starters, that should give the Jets a leg up early mm-hmm. in the year because that defense should come out smoking 
early in the year, barring any major injuries the last couple of weeks here. So that's where the, the defense comes into play. I hear you, Rich. I would love to see, as great as they were last year, and maybe you can see them asking for too much, I would love to see them be able to corral more takeover, or turnovers, more takeaways. That, that was the one area they struggled. No, they finished fourth in total defense, but I want to see them this year be more opportunistic on, on that side of the ball as far as uh, turnovers and, and forcing the other team into bad decisions that they can capitalize yeah, well, on. It's something, yeah, I mean, you're – you're speaking the words that the coaches are speaking right now in, in the meeting rooms because it's an emphasis to try to take the ball away. They more or less, I think the takeaways just disappeared over the last second half of last year. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's a combination of things. You know, it's the players knowing the scheme better, that'll help. And I think it's mostly pass rush, you know, pressure the quarterback into throwing the ball a half second faster than he wants to, and you're going to get a cornerback or a safety who can break on the ball and make a play. So I think it's a combination of things to make it better, but you're absolutely right, Ty. I agree with you. Uh, You're never truly a great defense until you can change field position, and that's something that the Jets have to get to. So if if they're uttering the same thing that I just said, are you saying I'm one step closer to, to becoming an NFL head coach, like I can join this coaching staff and we could get something rolling before the start of the season? Well, I think, you, I think you'll have to start out in the coordinator role, though, Ty. <laughs> I don't think, you know, you'll have to start out maybe maybe there and work your way up, but uh, definitely a, a, a bright future if you choose to leave the radio biz. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rich. Really appreciate you joining the show. I know it's late. Uh, you got to have a lot to do, practices, and now that Dalvin Cook's joining the team, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's on your plate. So I really appreciate you coming on tonight and taking some time to, to hang out with us. Always my pleasure, Ty. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. That was Rich Samini. We'll take a quick break. Get right back to your phone calls. 800-919-3776. Ty Butler right here on 98.7 ESPN.